What's up, everyone? Thank you so much for listening to the Go Long Podcast. Uh, Tyler Dunn here, riding solo on the show. I wanted to include my conversation with Ben Lieber. You can get the full Q&A conversation at golongtd.com. Here it is on the podcast. And holy cow, one of the more thoughtful people in football in general that, that you can really talk to. Played in the NFL for a decade. Chargers, Vikings, Rams. And today he's a radio sideline reporter for the Vikings, in addition to all of his responsibilities as a co-host for Twin Cities Live, K-Fan, um, we, we get into everything. He, he's also a father of three, so he's got kids doing a lot in youth sports. We start at those Charger days, what it was like to be a teammate of Junior Seau's, had to have been memorable, as Ben details. What about those 09 Vikings, the Super Bowl that got away, absolutely still leaves a mark for Ben. The state of football today, he's got some thoughts on the NFL's search for a middle ground that doesn't really exist, a common theme on this show. And are the Vikings of 2023 a legitimate contender? He loves the offense, of course, and, and believes Kirk Cousins is fully capable of winning a Super Bowl. It's that defense that obviously needs a lot of work. Brian Flores may be one of the more important acquisitions for any team this offseason. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I know I did. Ben's as good as, as good as it gets. You can follow him on Twitter at Nacho Lieber. That's N-A-C-H-O-L-E-B-E-R. As always, the podcast is fueled by our friends at Fatty Beer Company. Thanks so much for checking it out. Good, good to see you uh, making this as real as possible, Ben. We've chatted on the phone a few times. Always uh, love to bother you when I've got Vikings questions because you're as good as it gets. Your your eyeballs are on that team day in, day out. Uh, and obviously, I think a lot of our listeners, readers, remember you as a as a maybe an enemy. We've got a lot of Packer fans that check out, go along. So the, the memories might not always be good. But I can't wait to talk about your playing career, um, what you see in the Vikings for 2023. But first of all, how how in the hell are you? Running around, three kids, covering the Vikings. You do a little bit of everything. Yeah, no, thanks, Tyler. Um, yeah, it's it's always good to kind of jump on and, and and chat with you whenever we can about the Vikings and football and all this other stuff. And congrats to you on everything. And and um, yeah, it's. You know, you and I were just kind of talking off camera before we started this. It's one of those things where you just, I think when you have, you have kids and you're, you know, for me, starting a new career and all this other stuff, it's like, you just, you just go, you know, you don't, I know that there's like, there's some, some intentional thought about things and you do sort of like have a little bit of a plan, but you know, so much of it is like, all right, we just gotta, we just gotta keep going forward. Like my wife and I, like, this is like. Let's just keep going forward. Like maybe we'll, we'll figure this out as we go. And I don't know. That's kind of how I feel like, you know, maybe, maybe in a microcosm, how my whole career has been both as a player and now as a broadcaster, I just, um, I'm always trying to move forward. I know that there's, there is a bigger goal in mind, but I try not to focus on that goal. And I really just try to like 
survive every day and just, you know, keep improving every day and just keep going forward and never stopping. You know, I just, I just don't want to stop. I feel, I get that anxiety and anxiousness when things are stagnant. That's such a great way to put it. And that's really great that you've been able to maintain that pace since you've been done playing. I mean, it's been, I want to say 12 years since you retired. Yeah. And had 12 years. That's the challenge for, for everybody. I was just talking to Kevin Cobb about this for that series we had. And I like Darren college and, and Lee Smith. They all said the same thing. Like the, the trouble that guys have is you retire, right? You're, you're living this quote unquote exaggerated lifestyle of the NFL. The highs are so high. The lows are so low, right? You're, it, it, it's just not real life. I mean, to, at any given moment, somebody could take your job. In any given moment, you could make millions of dollars and be a hero. And it's, uh, you, you've got to ride that wave. Because if you don't ride that wave, then you're definitely done. But then the NFL is over and you're ejected into mainstream society. And you've got to find a way to either change it up completely and, and, and live a normal, quote unquote, life. Or you stay in football somehow and lean into madness uh, in other ways. It, it seems like you've been able to kind of just keep that survive and advance mentality with everything you do. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, a buddy of mine and I were just talking about that the other day, you know, we, we hear stories of people's paths and success, you know, all over the place, you know, where I think we're always kind of inundated with people's stories and we all love it. You know, you have some stories where some guys are like, yeah, I was just kind of like dabbling in this. And at the same time I was hustling here and doing this and over here and, you know, one, one of their spokes just sort of works out where, um, you know, you get these other very successful people, whether they're athletes or business people, and they're like, you know what, I'm singular focused, I've got I'm all in on the one thing, I have to be fully committed to that one thing. And I, I think it's, I think it's more so that when you look at athletes, they, they have to be all in and committed to the thing to be successful. Now, I, I knew a lot of guys in the locker room, too, that, you know, had other other side hustles and did other things. But I think by and large, I would say 80% of the guys in the locker room, and this is kind of the problem with transitioning out of the league or, or, or the military or whatever is you're, you're all in, you know, you're fully committed to, to be successful at that one, one thing. Cause the way you laid it out, it's stressful. I mean, you, you know, every day somebody's trying to take your job and you know, every day that unless you're performing at the highest of highs and getting a lot of return for the, the team, they're looking for ways to go cheaper. They're looking for ways to get rid of you, whether that's right or wrong. And so you feel that. So there's constant anxiety. You can barely hold on to the successes because you know the next day you got to go out and prove it again. It's what makes the NFL great. But at the same time, you know, it can it can really sort of um, I wouldn't say wreck you when it comes to your emotions and your and your um, and your outlook and all that stuff. But it, it definitely makes it hard when you get done. Because you don't have that, that stress and anxiety. Um, you don't have the time commitment. You know, the, the team keeps you on time. They set your schedule for you. You feel sort of lost in, in what you're supposed to do. You don't know what to commit yourself to. You know, a lot, a lot of guys will be like, oh, yeah, I want to go. You know, now that I'm done playing, I not only want to golf, I also want to get involved in some businesses. I want to do some investing. I want to do this. I want to coach. I want to do like – and." we think that we have all this time, but we forget that what makes us really good at our one job as a professional athlete was like, we were all in on that one thing. 
you know, and it's, yeah. it's hard to kind of wrap your head around this new world. I mean, shit, you do it f- from five, six years old on, right? I mean, I don't know about you. When did you get into football? I, I mean, really, I remember third grade putting the pads on and until I realized, well, I should probably uh, write about sports and talk about it as opposed to, you know, getting run over at D3 level. I you know, transferred to Syracuse and did something else. Um, but man, that, that's what makes it really hard is it's not like you just, you get into the NFL and then the NFL career ends. It, it's your life, probably as far back as you can remember. Yeah, well, you know, for me, actually, it was a little different. Um, growing up in South Dakota, we, we couldn't specialize. Like you, there was, there's no way to specialize. Um, you needed, you know, my, my high school was less than 500 kids. My graduating class was like 110, 115. Um, you had to have kids to play every sport. So every season, we needed guys and girls to go out for sports. So it was football season. You're focused on football season. And, and I do think in, in that in that small time frame, you're right. We were, it was all football. Like, you know, my kids now, I, I have my youngest son right now is in club soccer, club hockey, and travel baseball. All right now. You know, so it, it's, it's different because it's baseball season here in Minnesota, but yet he's still doing hockey because it's hockey's year round around here in Minnesota. Um, you know, he still loves to do other things. So he, he went to try the, the soccer thing. So that started last fall, but the season doesn't end until uh, mid July. So it's like, we're doing all these things and he's not really singular focused on one thing. Um, but you know, with my upbringing, I was kind of fortunate. I think that I didn't start football until I was in seventh grade. Um, I only did football just for the season of football, got done with football. We went right into basketball, into track, into baseball. Um, so I, I, I didn't concentrate solely on football until I got to Kansas state. And I, and I think in some ways that was good. In some ways it was, I, I was underdeveloped. You know, I didn't understand the game as much as the other, the other incoming freshmen. Um, but I, but I think because I didn't live it 24 seven, I, I developed a hunger for it. And I think that hunger for it is really what set me apart, you know, as I went along in college, because I didn't burn out at all. It's a good point. I think you see that even with the best of the very best players in the NFL today, Patrick Mahomes, if there's a sport that exists, he probably played it and wanted to kick your ass in it. I mean, from golf to ping pong to basketball to baseball, and he almost like plays the position. It's, it's like a warped um, combination of sports, the way you even quarterbacks. And you, you kind of see that with some of the very best. I, I think like there's got to be a science to it where if you play all these different sports, it's going to physically be good. You're using your body in these different angles, but mentally, like you said, you're not going to be burnt out by it. That's I think even like LeBron James to jump over to basketball. He's made that point with the AAU. I think like saying kids are, you know, you can't hammer away with one sport round the clock because you're just going to get sick of it and it's going to be a detriment. Well, and I, and I think everybody says all the right things. You know, I've certainly, with my kids being, you know, 15, 12, and 9, we were, we're kind of right in the middle of all this, you know, do you specialize, do you not? Um, and we've been to a lot of meetings with coaches at the start of seasons, and every coach says the same thing. Hey, look, we want multi-sport athletes. We encourage kids to play other sports. And then there comes the big but. But – when it comes to when it comes to this season, we expect full commitment X, Y, and Z. Um, so I think, 
across the nation when it comes to the big AAUs and, and all the, the big, um, you know, the big uh, organizations and corporations that run all these youth sports, they say all the right things, but they don't practice it. They do not practice it at all. Um, because the second one league or one community, uh, you know, neighboring community or your rival, um, if, if they hear that you guys are like, you know, letting your kids play other sports and the kids aren't super committed to basketball, well, then they just like, well, like, well, good, here's our opening. You know, we're just going to be uber committed to basketball and we're going to kick their, we're going to kick their ass next season. So it just becomes this arms race with, with youth sports and, you know, people talk a lot, but I have yet to see it in, in the years that I've, I've gone through it. Any, any coach actually implement it, truly support it, um, and, and try to build a foundation of multi-sport athletes. Gosh, I don't know if it's if it compares, but the Norwegian way, Tony Gonzalez told me about, I didn't even hear about this. He mentioned, did you ever hear about this in real sports? They no. did a special on, like Norway, to try to compete in the Winter Olympics, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, it was, they implemented this like nationwide policy where kids up till whatever it is, age 13, maybe, like no scores are kept, no, no stats are kept. Like your parents aren't allowed to go crazy at games. If you do, you're kicked out. It's like they went above and beyond to just foster. Uh, these kids are playing for the love of a sport and they're going to do a lot of sports. And eventually, and I want to say like it was subsidized with a gambling tax. I don't know, I'm all over the place, but there are kind of wacky extreme measures, I guess you could take because I do think competition is good, right? It is good to instill. Oh, yeah. All right. At a young age, not everybody gets a trophy, but there's got to be some type of balance to not burning kids out. Yeah, I don't know what that balance is. I really, you know, I, I think that somehow, some way we do have to, even if the, the seasons are extended a little bit, you know, take football. Um, well, football, I think football is unique because it's hard, it's really hard to, I think, specialize in football because what are you going to do? Put the pads on in the spring? No, you're not going to do that. Yeah. Like. You might you might do some seven on seven stuff. You might do some running and lifting, but that's going to help you. You know, as you you know cross over and do other sports. But you know, again, like like basketball, I just wish that if basketball, in, in its sense, went from let's say early October to you know right before spring break, and then you're just done. You know, then if you want to pick up a couple like weekend camps or a couple day camps, fine here and there, but that's what we should be getting into where we don't have these kids yeah. burning out. It's not super, not hyper-focused. They can go play lacrosse. They can go play baseball. They can go do other things and be fully committed. Um, you know, I do sort of worry, you know, what are we raising these kids to, to do? You know, it's like they can, they might be good at a lot of things, but never great at one thing. I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work where we're, you know, playing all these different sports and then we're specializing in some sports and saying like, well, um, I don't know how you were, but when did you develop as an actual player? I mean, we're telling, we're telling these kids, <laughs> we're telling these kids at 10, 11, 12 years old, you're not good enough. Why? Because I'm just not mature enough yet. <laughs> like, you're like, oh no, it's you're wild. not yeah. good enough to make the team and sorry, mm -hmm. sorry, Billy, you got to go play for the, for the house league. And you're crushing this kid's spirit to play a sport that they love because they're just maybe not developed yet. Then they get into high school and they might be legit. You know, they grow into their bodies. I mean, I didn't, I hit my growth spurt, um, like probably my going in for my freshman to sophomore year. 
well, mm. you know. In this in this day and age, I would have been like cast out, you know, early on. Like I was too small to play. It's crazy when you really think about it. You're right. Well, th thankfully, you you weren't cast out because you played ten years in the NFL. 143 games, the Chargers, the Vikings, the Rams. Um, God, when you look back at your own career, I feel like when we hear from you, we're, we're talking about the Vikings today, which is great because you're such a good analyst. But, I mean, you were a hell of a player. <laughs> I mean, you were on some really good teams. What's your best memory as a player? Who best memory as a player? Um, God, right now, maybe that, maybe just because it's it's so recent, but – you know what all these rookies are going through right now? I remember I remember so much of my rookie year from from the pre-draft process to like the senior bowl, but my god, Tyler, Tyler, the the senior bowl was the probably the most stressful time that I went through all that whole offseason. Like really? Probably not even, not even as stressful as rookie mini camp with the Chargers, like or or like all which which is crazy to think about what these guys are doing right now. Um, the senior bowl was so damn intense. Um, you're, you're just watched by everybody. I mean, you're, you're doing a, dr a linebacker drill with running backs or tight ends. And, you know, you recognize all these head coaches and GMs and they all just stand there with their arms folded stoic, you know, they don't say anything. They don't say anything more than like a whisper. And they just whisper to the guy next to them, which is probably some, you know, one of their big scouts or something like that. And you can tell they're just talking crap on people, you know? <laughs> yeah. You get, you get done with your drill and you like kind of look over and they're like whispering. You're like, what are they saying? Like, is, did I, was it good? Was it bad? Was it like bad, but not as bad as they thought? I, I don't know. It was just so much uh so much stress for the senior bowl but i i think you know my uh the draft process the draft night um you know getting a phone call at eight o'clock at night from the chargers thinking that it was the vikings which is kind of crazy to think about but um i thought it was the minnesota vikings calling because they were on the clock and you know yeah. you don't really know how to how it works but you know it's the team behind them that's making the phone call um and not the team on the clock so um you know, just mixed emotions there and, and then, you know, going to San Diego and, you know, immediately meeting Junior Seau, it was like, it, there was so much, you know, I felt like my whole first year was like a dream, like be with, with everything, the season, the practices, um, you know, just meeting everybody, a whole new life with my, you know, now wife, but fiance at the time, you know, going to San Diego as two young, stupid kids, not knowing anything never been to California before, didn't know how to look for houses, didn't know where to live. Like it was everything. I mean, everything was just, it was, it was bananas like the whole year. God, Junior Seau, I mean, what, what a teammate to have right out of the shoot as a linebacker. What, what was he really like for people who would love to know it? Just, you know, this legend you know, was like a close day in and day out. Yeah. You know, everybody that, everybody that meets him, um, you know, you're immediately sort of pulled into his world, like you're pulled into his energy. And it sounds so crazy. I think I'm sure that you, you know, people, maybe this is, maybe this is you yourself. Like just, there's a magnetism to his, to his whole being. Um, he'd walk yeah. into the locker room and he was just, everybody would just watch him and, you know, watch his every move and everything that he said, people were just like hanging on and, 
there was an intensity, but there was like this really boyish, like fun loving spirit that he loved the game. That's the one, one of the things that I learned from junior was, you know, all these, all these professional players will say, man, I miss the games and I miss Sundays or I miss game day, whatever sport they're playing. And, you know, for me, what I learned from him was um, he loved practice. I, if he if he was faking it, he did a great job. But he loved waking up in the morning, going to the weight room, you know, hitting the weights, getting a sweat on. He was always the one the 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 one guy in the in the weight room that's crushing everything. You know, he could run for days. He could lift whatever. He was like a superhero, and. Um, He'd attack meetings with the same intensity. You know, he's he's watching the the minute things like where am I working? Where do I go on this play? What am I doing? Like he was always thinking about the game, and it got me to really enjoy the process of the week. And you enjoy game days because of all the pomp and circumstance and all the other stuff. But I I learned that from junior, like you got to attack the game. You know, in the six days leading up to the game. And you can't take a day off. And every practice is important, and every rep is important, and and it can be fun. I mean, he had tons of fun doing what he was doing. Always a smile on his face. Always calling everybody buddy. Everybody, you know, everybody was his best friend. Um, yeah, he was a special human human being. R.I.P. I mean, it's crazy. It's been a while since he passed, and that was one that I think stunned you know this generation of football fans because. You, know, you read League of Denial, there's a lot of names like Mike Webster. That, that's the 70s, you know, guys going through stuff. And, and here's a player, we, we all grew up on Junior Seau. Like, we're watching him every Sunday. The fact that he went through um, his CTE, his head trauma. Uh, I don't know if you kept in touch with him when he was done playing. Like, did uh, were, you, were you guys close when he was maybe going through some, some of his harder times at the end? You know, we were close for a couple of years. You know, my, you know, we only played together one year, uh, and then he went off to Miami. But uh, you know, San Diego was his home, so he would come back uh, every off season. So he, I trained with he and John Lynch um, and a group of other kids. Um, and I say kids, I, that was the crazy thing. Like you think that Junior lived this sort of exclusive lifestyle, but um, he worked out with this gal that ran this Agoscu clinic um, in in uh, La Jolla, and when we would work out in the mornings, it was me and uh, Justin Peel, who was who's now the uh, the Titans coach for the Falcons. Um, Justin and I, yeah. and then and then Junior and and John Lynch, we would work out. Let's say at seven in the morning, and there'd be, you know, 10, 15 other kids, their high school kids, that work out with us. It was just it was just like a group fitness class. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like this exclusive deal. And, and they loved it and they loved being around junior. And, and, I, and I believe all of us just to, like, compare yourself to what professional athletes are doing. But, um, you know, we were we were close in that sense. You know, I did a lot of stuff for his charity, um, you know, hung out with him a little bit in the off season. But, you know, he's a super busy guy. And then once the season would start, we'd kind of lose contact again. And then, you know, we had a lot of. We had a lot of close. I, I had a lot. I was really good friends with a lot of his close friends. So, you know, when he when he eventually retired, it was I was staying in touch with his buddies more than I was junior. And I, you know, I heard everything. I I kind of knew what was going on, and you know, guys tried to help him. Guys tried to reach out to him. You know, it was unfortunately it was a 
I think it was a longer road than people realize. You know, I think that there was a there was an internal struggle going on much longer than people realize. And, you know, a lot of people tried to help. But, you know, (laughs) when I think when you're in that mental state, you know, sometimes you just don't want to be helped or there's denial or whatever it is. But, um, you know, he he certainly did not, uh, you know, take the advice, I think, from the people around him that loved him uh, to get some help. Man, just got to reach out, right? I mean, that's that's what you got to yeah. do. It's always the other stuff, the darker side effects of, of a concussion, what you're going through. Um, but back to you, Ben, like you're got a Minnesota, that that 09 season. I mean, that was a team that I'm going to tell you probably should have won the Super Bowl if you're not. If you're not, I can say this because Monus isn't here. He, he was on the personnel staff for the Saints. So he was a, so we can, we can rip on the saints oh uh, you, you guys were screwed i so many times i forgot about in that game even in, in overtime alone there were like three or four terrible calls up to the pass interference on you which wasn't even close uh but that was a team let alone the bounty gate stuff the fact that they're trying to take brett out um that was a team that uh god that, that must have felt like a special group that was going to do some special things when you're right in the middle of it like you were yeah you know i i I was preparing myself for this for this type of question because um, you're daggering me right now, and you know it's early in the morning, and I don't oh. I don't need to be I don't need to relive this pain and horror that was. Well, we softened you up. We softened you up on talking about kids' sports, and you know, then we we wait till 23 minutes, and then we go in for the kill. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good it's a good plan. I like I like that approach. Um, yeah, man, <laughs> you know, 2009 was was awesome. You know starting with Brett Favre and, and, uh, you know, he has that, he had that like junior say I'll sort of feel mystique to him. Um, you know, one of the few guys I've been around that when he walked in the locker room, like, Oh yeah, this is, this is exactly what junior had, you know, he, he has that magnetism. And, um, it, it was such a fun season because we, we knew that we were, you know, every defense that I was on with the Vikings, we were good, you know, it, we were good. If not, if not great, you know, we statistically, um, I think a couple years we were number one ranked defense, um, certainly number one ranked run defense. We really prided ourselves on nobody running against us with the Williams wall and oh, EJ and Chad and I playing linebacker. And we, we really thought our front seven was, was the best in the league. And, and we tried to prove it by stopping the run. And so we, we knew that our defense was sound. It was solid. It was good enough. You know, we had some, we had some warts like everybody does, but we just knew that if we just had a, a dynamic, you know, passer, um, we could do something and we Brett comes on and everybody goes crazy. And, you know, uh, the, the Greg Lewis hail Mary against the, against the 49ers um, back right corner of the end zone, you know, solidified everything that we saw in practice and everything that we saw early in that season was like, this guy's legit. You know, this guy is what is our missing piece. He's, he's going to bring the swagger to every one of our games. And we're going to come out of this, this tunnel with, you know, more confidence than we had. And that's what happened. I mean, I've never, I've never been a part of a, a season or a team. We walked out of the tunnel and we said, how much are we going to win by? Like, we know we're going to win. We know, we know that we know that we're the better team. How are we going to win? And, and what's the score going to look like? That's the type of confidence that we had. And then you go into that awful, that awful championship game. Um, you know, it was such a fun atmosphere. You know, New Orleans knows how to throw a party. That stadium is one of the, you know, one of the loudest, most fun stadiums to play in. Um, but look, we, 
we had them on the ropes. You know, you, you take away even half the turnovers that we had. The game, the game's not even close. We were the better team, and that's I think what hurts the most is we were the better team. We clearly didn't execute. They execute out executed us, um, which is what the name of the game is. But talent wise, we were the better team. And, you know, I had, you know, I had buddies tell us afterwards, you know, Scott Shanling and Scott Vegeta, they would tell me afterwards they won the Super Bowl. They're like, yeah, you know, you guys would have, you guys would have killed the Colts. And like, we know, <laughs> we know they're like, you know, that, that championship game really was our Super Bowl at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the season, when they reflect on it, they're like, the Colts game was an easy game for them. You know, um, you know, they're like the game that the battle that we had in the, in the Superdome, that was, that was our Super Bowl. And it's it's nice and refreshing to hear, but it also hurts, you know, that, man, we were that close. You know, we were so close to ma the, the magical season paying off. And, you know, that's just the way it goes. That's the way football goes, man. Yeah. You know, I, I think that even uh, Packer fans have an appreciation for Brett Favre's mindset that season. I mean, to go out there and really want to stick it to, to the whole league, I guess, but to Green Bay, like, you, you don't want me anymore. And he was perfect those two games. I mean, it was unbelievable how he was dialed in oh, yeah. to, to watch that game from afar. I mean, it was like uh, AI out there just doing whatever he wanted. Um, and then even maybe his the, the, the championship game, I know he had the, the boneheaded you know, turnover, which we all remember. I mean, I'm sure you remember, but like yeah. I, about as impressive of a, of a game out of a quarterback in terms of just taking a beating. Mm -hmm. And we, now we know why obviously but the hits he took that game and modern football that's about as violent as it gets and he just kept getting up he kept getting up he's a true you know a true warrior warrior in the every sense of the word and and um you know during the game we never we never suspected that there's anything else going on anything you know anything as far as like a bounty or something yeah. something like that and I gotta be I don't know I gotta be honest and I know a lot of Viking fans aren't going to want to hear this and I know that there was an investigation but you know, I, I've talked to several of the of the Saints players and they're like, look, you know, we, we had incentives like everybody does. Like, you know, we have incentives all the time of like, hey, uh, first guy, first guy on kickoff to get a tackle inside the 10, you know, a veteran will be like, I'll give you 500 bucks. You know, that stuff happens a yeah. lot. Um, you know, they said that they did the same thing. They never put a they never put a bounty on trying to hurt Brett Favre. Um there was just an emphasis as you do with every quarterback to, to make your hits count. And, you know, were some, were some of them, I think, illegal? Absolutely. And they should have been called. Um, they weren't. I, I think I was more disappointed by the referees and the, and the poor refereeing in that game where you're high low on a quarterback and wh whether the timing is there or not, like that's, that's a roughing the passer. Even back then that was roughing the passer. You can't high, you can't high low a quarterback like that in a throwing motion. Um, so there are just, uh, I I really I don't necessarily think that there was, you know, specific bounties to take out Brett. We would talk. We talked about the same thing in our locker room as far as in our meetings as far as getting after Drew Brees. We say it with every quarterback, especially in a playoff game. We're like, look, no quarterback wants to be hit and no quarterback wants to be running for his life. So we have to harass the quarterback. Now, if you say, hey, you gotta you gotta um, you know kill the head of the snake. Okay, you're making you're making like tough guy words, but it's the same it's the same thing, you know. The same yeah. message is getting across to the defensive I mean, players that get after the quarterback, kick his ass, make him feel us, and and hopefully he he throws an interception to us and we get a couple turnovers because we're playing more aggressive than they are. 
isn't that the truth though? I mean, we all heard Greg Williams's pregame speech, but and if we're sitting, you know, here in an office with a coffee and you know it's climate controlled and you know we got our warm, yeah, it's it's gonna sound pretty nasty, pretty gnarly. But within the context of a locker room, a lot of shit gets said. It's a different world. It's its own little ecosystem, and I'm sure players didn't opponents probably really didn't bat an eye when you cut the head off the snake and the body will die. I mean, a little specific on that little guy with the ACL. Maybe you don't talk about ACLs, Greg. But the, the overall message probably, and, and Greg's a interesting character. He's different. He's always been that way. But that's on brand for an NFL locker room, I think. I, 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 when you heard that, were you like, oh my God? Or were you like, yeah, that's kind of how it is? Well, I think part of it was like I, I understood his reputation before I even heard all that stuff. Like I, I knew, you know, yeah. again, I we all have we all have friends that play on other teams and we all hear other things. And he was he's a super intense old school type of guy. You know, he's going to get in your face. He's not going to he's not going to care about which four letter word he's going to spit in your face. Um, he's going to find any way that he can to motivate you. And, you know, that in, in a sense, that's kind of how I was raised. You know, that's kind of how, you know the coaches were at K-State, you know, for better or worse. It's like they they were trying to get the best out of a bunch of guys that were, you know, one and two star players and we got to go out and compete against Texas and Oklahoma. And um, you know, we're we're trying to we're trying to get these guys to to hit the gas and hit the accelerator on their development. Look, I, that when I heard that, I'm like, what's the big freaking deal? Like, I don't Yeah, you don't tar- you don't you don't target somebody's actual injury. But you don't, but but the public doesn't think that we're aware of guys that are playing hurt. Like we know, there's an injury report for a reason, mostly because of betting. But when we when we see an injury report and you're like, hey, Drew Brees has a bum shoulder, you don't think that we're going to somehow try to get hits on the shoulder like that? It, it just kind of goes without saying. Like you don't go into the game like, well, that's not very PC, you guys. Like, boy, if this ever gets out there. Public is not going to like that. Screw that, man. We're we got, you know, we got 16 games to go out and prove ourselves and try to win a championship. If a guy gets hurt in a violent game, sorry, that's just the way the game is played. Obviously done with with between the whistles and then it's all legal. But if you can take a hit on a guy, take a hit. Kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. I mean, this game, the lifestyle, you better be going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Like you, you've got to keep up. I mean, this is the most violent game on earth. The pressure is as high as it gets. Uh, you can't just kind of tiptoe into the deep end. You need no. to dive headfirst in and kick ass. And I guess that's what pisses me off when the NFL is trying to find this middle ground that doesn't really exist with the flags and the fines and selling the game as safe. It just seems dishonest because the world you describe, that's just what it is, right? I mean, as long as there's blocking and tackling, you, you have to play fast and hit fast to survive. Yeah, and that's, you know what? And that's what that's what the fans want. Yeah, that's yeah nobody wants to play football. No, I mean, even, even the fans can't have it both ways. You know, the fans can't be out there when their star player gets hurt. Um, now, again, all, if being all of this is legal, like you're saying, like, you know, a legal hit, guy gets hurt, it might be, you know, it might be violent, it might be forceful, it might be a guy going across the middle, it gets his bell rung. Um, you know, you can't be you can't be mad about that when your player gets hurt, but then 
but then when you turn around and Harrison Smith hits the guy and he gets a flag and you're like, well, wait a minute. Like that's a legal hit. And like we, it's, you can't protect players on one side and not the other and have it benefit you. Um, the intimidation of the game has been taken out. Um, the NFL is the best sport in America because, because there's a controlled sense of violence. And I think that the NFL is, is trying to control that even more. It's taken away from the game. I mean, I, I love the game. And there's even games where like, I, I find this unwatchable. There's a flag on every play. You know, I can understand why, why people are, are turning out sometimes and going to a different sport because they're like, there's no action, you know, like we don't understand the rules. It's too complicated. What does that even mean? Like what's, What's an illegal low block outside of the tackle box within this area? That's like, wait, wait. I mean, I think they got to refine the rules, clean them up a little bit, make it more consistent, increase the flow of the of the game, and um, you know, put out a better product that's um, kind of kind of what we we grew up watching. And you know, it, if you have to make these contracts a little bit more on the guaranteed for a year or two then then fine but um there's got to be some sort of compromise damn perfectly said ben i couldn't agree more it's like the more bureaucracy the more regulation like anything in life the more confused and pissed off everybody's going to be and, and emphasis on confusion right to the super bowl right, right to the game where you know millions of people around the world are watching the product and it's decided on a very very questionable call it's just I know you got to run, but before we lose you, Ben, we got to get your thoughts quick. Today's Vikings, um, interesting team. I mean, we talked this time last year a lot about culture. The culture's set now. Mike Zimmer's out. Kevin O'Connell in, um, number one in the NFLPA survey for every best possible reason you could you could want to play for the Vikings. I mean, you're talking to these guys too. They're they're happy to go to work in the morning, and that that alone, yeah. I mean, the the building has been cleansed, fumigated. The asbestos has been removed. They're in a good place. Now, they've had to make some tough choices this year. Some some good players like Eric Hendricks aren't going to be there. Um, Harrison Smith, who you referenced, he's sticking around at 34, which is good. Big decision at quarterback kind of looms, but Kirk Cousins is the guy for now. They're off a division title, but what are, are fans kind of jacked up about this team as a contender in 2023? Or is it kind of like one foot in, one foot out? We still kind of have to think about the future. I, I can't really get a sense for where, where the team is at right now because we should be talking about them as a contender when you look at their record last year and second year with this regime. What's has been the state of the Vikings? You know, I, I don't think that – I don't think contender really is in the conversation right now. I, um, I think there's a lot of optimism um the offense should be you know more than a top 10 offense you know i think i think kirk is going to have another huge year um you know he's set himself it's it's another prove it deal in which uh he's very accustomed to and it's not going to bother him and i trust him i i do trust the fact that he's going to compartmentalize that and put that off to the side and just go out there and do the best job that he can to help this team win a super bowl um he's going to have a lot of weapons on offense whether dalvin cook's there or not um, I think the reason why there's apprehension is, is because we've seen what this defense has looked like the last two years, uh, actually the last three years, you know, the, the last two with Mike Zimmer and this last year, um, the defense has been the liability and it's been the inability to control the game defensively. We can't stop the run consistently. 
too many third down conversions. Teams march down the field, and um, and we have these high scoring affairs because the defense just can't hold its water. So I th I think the biggest acquisition this whole offseason was, was Brian Flores. I do think that his presence, philosophy, and and a uh, way that he approaches the game w without without changing personnel. I mean, if we had the same team from last year, which finished the bottom of the league when it comes to total total defense. If if we have the same guys from last year, I, I think his presence and his philosophy and his ability to to disguise and all this other stuff, I, I think that this is a this defense is in the the high twenties, you know, like maybe twenty five as far as ranking. I think he's he's that much he's that much better. Now, we've you know jettisoned some guys. Kendricks is gone. I understand all that. You know, Patrick Peterson, you know, I just don't think that he was going to fit this scheme. This is going to be more of a man cover situ situation. So I, I do think that we got a little bit better there on the outside only because he wasn't going to fit what they were trying to do. And he was going to be a liability, I think, come this upcoming season. So some big names are gone. But, um, you know, I really think that if this defense can be somewhere in the 14, 15, 16 ranking, you know, especially in, in points. Yeah, we got a contending team. But because the last three years we haven't proven it, I think there is apprehension that, all right, guys, like, oh, we know our offense, offense can score. And we saw what happened last year where we had to have a lot of, like, things go our way to win those games. Um, I think this is going to be a competitive team. I think this is this is a playoff team. But unless we show some physicality on defense and unless we show a, a real balance on offense to, to run the ball when we need to, um, this might be, you know, this could be another disappointing season in the fact that we might make the playoffs and be bounced again like we were the last year with the Giants. I know it, I, it's, it's hard to, to look at the, the names of the players, the personnel, and, and maybe Brian Flores can work that magic, wave a – Wave a magic wand, and they are better. But um, I don't. Know. I, I I think I'm a hopeless romantic. I like the fact that they lose all these one-score games under Zimmer. They win them. O'Connell, you can look at that from an analytics point of view and think that's luck. He's the luckiest team. They're frauds. I think that there's a reason you're winning these one-score games. There's something to the 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 mentality of a player late in the fourth quarter to make a play. I don't know how you quantify it. But I think something changed there for the good with this team. Well, I, I think that is that's absolutely true. Um, you can you can feel it in the building when you walk in, and you know the guys were talking about it last year when when O'Connell came in and Quasey came in. I think that's going to happen with every new regime change. It's like okay, there's a refresh, there's a there's a vibrancy in the air, there's some there's a different energy. I, I think that's that's true across the board. But that that when that honeymoon phase is over, that carried through. Yeah. You know, that carried through to the start of the season, that carried through all the way through the season, because I think there's a consistency of voice with the way Kevin and Kwesi approach their every day. And so guys knew exactly what type of personality they were going to get. Um, and I think that helped them thrive. Like they very quickly, they changed the culture of that locker room. And that's a hard thing to do in one season. Um, and that's why I think there is optimism. It's just it's it's not so much the um, the apprehensions on offense because we've seen what what Kevin can do. We've seen the matchups that he can find. 
uh, we've seen the way that he can he can get the ball in people's hands in certain situations and ask guys to, to step up like KJ Osborne so many times last year. It's like, man, we got it. Here's a play where we got to have it, and JJ's getting bracketed, and Thielen's doing something over here, and Osborne goes out and, and has a great game and a, and a great series of catches that really helps us win the game. They bring on Hawkinson, and all of a sudden now we've got a, a true threat in the middle of the field, and they, you know, we've got a lot of weapons. Like no no doubt, this offense is going to be good enough to win a Super Bowl. It's just whether or not this defense can uh, can pick it up and um, you know pick up the pieces, you know, you know, figure out what this new defense looks like, and get up to speed as fast as the offense did last year. I could pick your brain for hours, but you've got things to do. You're lit. I don't know how you balance it all. I, I want to ask you a million questions uh, in that department, but maybe we'll have you back on because yeah, we can do this. It's, it's impressive. <laughs> ben, you're the man. Thank you so much for hanging out, and uh, yeah, let's catch up again here soon. Yeah, no problem, man. Always a pleasure, and um, let's uh, let's keep in touch, and maybe we'll do this again. We'll do part two some other time. Hell yeah, sounds like a plan.